to the end. Romans chapter 16 at verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Everyone worships. That might not seem immediately plausible or obvious, but it's true. Uh, we might look around at us at the world we live in or look around in Canada or even around in PEI and we might notice that many people don't attend churches on Sunday or many people don't even have any religious affiliation in our own province and we might think well maybe not everyone worships but once we begin to unpack what we mean by worship uh, that we ascribe greatest value that we ascribe greatest worth to something that we find meaning in life, uh, our security in life, our satisfaction in life, that the way that we govern our life always comes under this principle, then we begin to see that it's inevitable that everyone ascribes worth and meaning and satisfaction and governs their life by something. And whatever that is we are ascribing greatest worth to is what we are worshiping. So everyone worships. The only question is, is not if we're worshiping, the only question is what or who are we worshiping? And this evening as we are turning back to the book of Romans, Paul is coming to a conclusion of his address to the church in Rome. And Paul, very appropriately, ends this letter on a note of praise. He ends this letter in worship. And we want to uh, contemplate uh, these closing words to see that God's revelation is meant to lead us to praise. That the revelation of God's word is not simply to fill our heads. Uh, God's word is not merely to give us something to debate about. Uh, it's not meant simply so that we can argue over things. The, the word of God is meant to shape and to direct us ultimately in a response of praise to God. And that's the way that Paul ends this letter. After having said all that he has said, after making known God's word, Paul himself leads us in the praise of God. And so because God's glory has been revealed in Jesus, we are to respond in adoration and praise ourselves. Now, you may be uh, sitting there yourself thinking that worship or praising God sounds uncomfortable. Uh, maybe it seems like something that is hard to resonate with yourself. It seems forced or it seems unnatural. How can I, how can I worship? How can I be someone that praises God? And oftentimes or many times when people struggle with the idea of praising God, they're thinking in very uh, abstract categories. They think of praise or worship uh, in a very cold and disconnected way. That we're supposed to acknowledge this greater being, that we're supposed to acknowledge this supreme being, and that we're supposed to uh, say how great he is, 
but it seems so mechanical or it seems so forced. Uh, it seems like it's uh, something we have to do, but not necessarily something that we are drawn to do. So how is it that Paul can end this letter uh, on the note of praise? And what you'll notice is, is that Paul himself ends in praise based on what he does know about God. In other words, Paul is not simply praising in the abstract. He's not simply saying this is, uh, we should simply acknowledge that there's a, a higher power, but rather Paul is celebrating the God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and that has captivated him. And so this evening we want to simply look at this doxology, this, uh, these words of praise, uh, these words of glory to God, in order to ask two questions. Uh, why is God to be praised? How is it that Paul can give expression of God's greatness? And then secondly, uh, that question, how is God to be praised? So why is God to be praised? And then how does one go about praising God? Well, first then, let's ask the question, why is God to be praised? As we're coming to the end of this letter, uh, Stuart Olliot, a Welsh preacher, makes the point that it's really like a musical score. Um, many musical scores or me many musical pieces will vary in the way that they are ordered or even in the way that they end. But if you think about how some musical scores, they end not by slowly fading down to a quiet tremor, but rather that they, they, they end in a crescendo that they are they're growing and they become something uh, memorable and something satisfying. That's really what Paul is doing here as he comes to the end of his epistle. He, is, he has highlighted many themes in this letter. And many commentators point out is, is that you see a lot of these themes reemerge here in these final verses, which again stresses for us that Paul's praise is not in the void. His praise is not just appearing out of nowhere. His praise is in light of what he has come to know. His praise is in based on the, the revelation of God's word. And so these themes that have surfaced in the book of Romans now are what propel Paul to declare the greatness of God. He's now applying the truth in the way that he approaches God. So if we're, if we're sitting there thinking to ourselves, how does a person praise God? I, I, this seems foreign to me. This seems hard to, to resonate with. Then the best question we could ask ourselves is, well, how does Paul get to this place? And if I understand how Paul got to that place, then perhaps I can join with Paul. And what Paul is praising God about is what he has come to know about God. And there are really two things that we want to center in on and what Paul is accenting about the God that he knows. One is God's ability, and the second is God's wisdom. So first we see there in verse 25, he praises God for his ability. He says in verse 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That word there, to strengthen is a word that can be translated as to establish or to make firm. You remember Jesus' parable about how he spoke about the wise man 
the wise man built his house on the rock. And when the rains came and the floods came, the, the, the house on the rock stood firm. It was made firm because it was resting on the rock. The rock held its place. And so the house was able to stand through the midst of the storm. And here that language is being applied here by Paul. That God is able to make his people stand firm. That he is able to strengthen them by his own power. And so here Paul is really uh, stressing the ability of God to make his people firm. Paul began this letter to the Romans. You remember one of the things he said is, is he said, I want to come to you that I might be able to impart a spiritual blessing. Uh, that you might be strengthened uh, in your faith. That you might be uh, built up and made firm. And now Paul is ultimately confessing that it is God himself uh, who is the one, the source, who makes us firm. But why is it that anyone needs to be made firm? Why is it that we need to be strengthened or established? Well, you think back to what Paul has said in this letter. You remember in chapter 8, he highlighted that there are many trials that come uh, with the Christian life. In chapter 8, he mentioned uh, tribulation. He talked about distress, persecution, danger. He even mentioned the sword. He quoted from Psalm 44, where it said that we are like sheep. Uh, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so Paul was saying that there is a real danger that accompanies the life of faith. That there is persecution that may come. That there are hardships that may come. And when those physical trials do come, it is easy for us to lose heart and to live in fear. And so, as Paul says in another place in his letter to the Thessalonians, he writes uh, using the same language about being strengthened or made firm. He says that they would be uh, made firm in their faith, that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. So the believers in Rome may have begun to question whether they were to persevere in their faith to the end. What happens when it becomes uh, dangerous to be a Christian? Will they be able to stand? What happens when Christianity falls out of ranks in society because the ideologies and the new views that are shaping our nation are no longer in vogue with Christianity? Are we going to be able to stand? And we might begin to, to waver in our confidence. But you know what Paul is doing here? As Paul is ending his letter, he is, he is not simply dwelling on our immediate situation, but rather he turns our sight back to the greatness of God. He's helping us see something of God's greatness to be able to face the trials that come in this life. Paul's turning our attention uh, to God in order to establish our, uh, our hope uh, that God is a God who is able to dispel our fears. They can be strengthened, not because we have the ability ourselves, but because God has the ability to ensure that it happens. As he says in Philippians, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so as you think about the Christian life, what is the source of the believer's assurance of being found right with God and of persevering? in the faith of uh, maintaining uh, themselves before God. 
It is knowing the ability of God, that he is both willing and able to make his people firm in the faith. So Paul begins here by saying, now to him who is able to strengthen you. He is, he's turning their attention to the power, the ability of God to accomplish his purposes. That he who began a good work will bring it to completion. You think as well of what Paul <clears throat> highlighted in chapter 14 and 15. He mentioned the relational tensions that existed. And those tensions could escalate. There could be division or tension in the church and it might cause people to live in fear of what is going to happen to the church. But again, it is knowing that God is able uh, to work and to build his church, even uh, where there is opposition uh, to it. And then thirdly, you think of what Paul has just said in chapter 16. You remember how he warned about false teachers uh, who would seek to cause many to stumble from the faith, uh, who would try to turn people away from the teaching of the apostles. And Paul said to avoid such people. But all of that underscored the importance of being made firm in their faith so that they would not fall victims to Satan's craft, as John Murray once said, that they needed to be firm. And here Paul is saying, God is able to make you firm. And so he's really celebrating the fact of God's ability to bring his work to completion. And how is it that God is able to establish us or to strengthen us in our faith? It is through the message of the good news. That, that message that, uh, that God has worked. You think about what good news is. Good news, is the gospel announces something that has been done. Something has been accomplished that has implications. And the gospel is an announcement of God's deliverance from sin, his victory over the curse of sin, so that all who trust in Christ would no longer be under condemnation, but are now reconciled with God. This has been accomplished through this coming of the Son of God in the fullness of time. And this message of the gospel uh, is the means by which we are made firm. Christ has paid the penalty of sin for all who trust in him. And when Christ ascended into heaven, uh, he sent the Spirit to reside in the souls of his people and to lead them in the ways of God. The gospel then turns our attention to God and his works so that we can see things rightly. As we focus on him who is able to bring salvation, we are able to see things as we ought to. You think about Sometimes uh, you see this in uh, neighborhoods where a young child might be walking with their parent and they might walk past a property where there is a dog out in the yard chained up and that dog might be barking uh, very aggressively and intimidatingly. And that young child might be disturbed by that dog's actions. And the parent might notice what is happening and they might even stoop down low uh, to assure the child that it is okay. And even if the, the parent tries to gently turn the child's face towards them to talk to them and to assure them, the child might have their face turned, but their eyes continue to watch over where the threat is. But it's only when the child's eyes are able to lock on and to listen to their parents that they're going to be able to be assured that their parents are able 
to keep them safe. That they're able to focus on the ability of their parents and not simply on the danger of the dog. And in the same way here, as Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Romans, he's saying what you need to focus on, what you need to think about, is the ability of God, who is able to make you firm, who is able to accomplish his purpose, who is able to finish what he has started. And all who come to him will be saved. And so Paul here is celebrating the ability of God to do all that he has purposed to do. That is why uh, we are to constantly be turning to God and to have the, the gospel constantly shaping our, our minds. Because it's very easy for us to live our lives like that young child, constantly having our eyes and our attention fixated on a different message, on the fears of what might be coming, instead of remem remembering that our God is able to make us firm, that our God is able to establish his work, and that it's God's will that will be done. And so Paul here celebrates the God who is. He is the God who is able to do all that he desires to do. His decrees will be established. But then secondly, he celebrates the God who is for his wisdom. As he goes on to describe this gospel, you notice what he says. He says that he is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, the gospel that I have been entrusted to declare, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, that is, concerning Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic, prophetic writings and has been made known among all nations." When you hear the word mystery, sometimes we think of a mystery as something that is beyond our ability to understand. I guess it's just going to be a mystery what happened. But we, are ought, we ought to think of what Paul is saying here when he uses the language of a mystery, more like the Sherlock Holmes way of thinking of a mystery, as one person has said. That Sherlock Holmes was, the stories of Sherlock Holmes are the detectives where some crime has taken place. And it's not known until Sherlock Holmes is able to piece it together and to reveal what has happened and who committed this crime. In a similar way, what Paul is celebrating is, is that God's purposes would have been hidden to us if he did not reveal them. That we would not have been able to simply by contemplating and reflecting and thinking discovered God's purposes and God's plan. But God, in the fullness of time, uh, has made this fully known, even though he, made it, he disclosed it in the Old Testament scriptures. As it says there in Romans 3, that the righteousness of God was declared in the Old Testament scriptures. And it was disclosed to the people of God what their hope was to be in. That God, from the beginning, told them that he would reverse the curse of sin. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. God's blessings would be restored. God's blessings would come through the line of Abraham and that through his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. They knew that it would be through a promised king that the righteousness and peace of God would be established. And so the people knew these things and they were looking to God to fulfill them. And yet what Paul is celebrating here is, is that what was kept silent 
for long ages has been fully made known in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, we see the promises of God now coming together fully in such a way that we say that this is the work of God. And that what has happened, what God has done in the fullness of time, we can look back on the ancient writings and see that this is what God was promising all along. But more than that, we understand the scriptures in a, in a, with a clarity that even the Old Testament believers uh, wrestled with. This is something that we see in, in many passages. For instance, the Apostle Peter points this out. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit uh, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Something that the Old Testament saints and even the angels were captivated by. How is this going to all come together? How, are, how is God's purposes all going to come together? They were looking in anticipation. They were looking forward. Paul is saying, we now live seeing how God's purposes have all climaxed in Jesus Christ. The prophetic writings now have been fulfilled. God's sovereignty over all things has been manifested in Jesus Christ. And all of this is meant to cause us uh, to praise God. We understand them. Uh, we can't understand them fully apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But now that Christ has come, we can turn to passages in the Old Testament and we can actually see them with greater clarity. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember that he had gone up to Jerusalem for the feast and on his way back from Jerusalem, he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And we are told that Philip came up alongside the Ethiopian and he asked him uh, what he was reading. And the Ethiopian was telling him what he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And then he turned to Philip and he said, who is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And it tells us that Philip was able to open up the scriptures to him in order to declare to him Jesus Christ that Philip was able to make known to him what the Old Testament prophetic writings were all about, that they would be fully understood now that Christ has come. And so there is a clarity that comes, and all of this brings forth praise from the Apostle Paul. He has been confronted with the sovereign ability of God to do all that he pleases, and in his wisdom, he has accomplished his purposes. He has revealed his glory to save sinners, he has shown his wisdom in fulfilling his promises, but he has shown his wisdom as well in making known to the nations something that has happened in time was declared hundreds of years beforehand so that we could look at it and say, this is the work of God. This shows God's mercy, and this is ultimately to God's glory. There was a, a postmodern novelist. His name was David Wallace. He once wrote this. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else that you worship will eat you alive. 
That's an interesting point. Anything else that you worship will ultimately bring self-destruction. Listen to how he goes on. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will never ever uh, more uh, have more power over others to keep the fear at bay. If you worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out. None of those things are going to ultimately satisfy. So you hear what he's saying. He's almost uh, being pragmatic about why some people believe in God. Because the alternative is, is that you will be eaten up by the things that you live for. If you put your meaning, your security, your value, your source of governance in your money or in your attractiveness or in your comforts, those things will ultimately be your undoing. And so he says, must be why people believe in God. But notice here, the Apostle Paul doesn't praise God simply as a way of avoiding being eaten up. Paul here is praising God because he is captivated by the God who is. Because God is a God who is able to do all that he desires. He is able to make firm his people. He is able to bring salvation as he is decreed. And in his wisdom, he has worked through time to bring that salvation in Jesus Christ. Something gloriously uh, hidden has been revealed to us that we would never have imagined. God has come down to bring salvation so that we would not be left in our guilt and in our sin. And so this revelation is to shape the way we live our lives. And it is to bring forth a response of praise. So why is it that we are to praise God? Because of the God who has revealed himself. A God who is able to do his will. And a God who has shown his wisdom in bringing salvation, in fulfillment of all his purposes and his promises. But then very quickly, how is it that we are to praise God? Paul talks about how uh, we are to praise God uh, by living in uh, obedience to God's command. In verse uh, 26, he says, uh, It has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, uh, been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. God's work invites us to respond, but more than that, it actually commands us to live in response to his works. The command of God is, is that we bring forth a response of obedience, the obedience of repentance and faith, that we are uh, told that God has called all people to repentance of their sins and to live trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is the response that is called for here is one of believing in what God has revealed. All glory is to be given to God through Jesus Christ. But is that true of you? Are you giving God the glory? And how do you know? It must be through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
giving God the glory, it's not sufficient to merely assume that there is a God and to abstractly acknowledge his existence at some point in our life. But rather to give God the glory that is due to his name, we are to praise him for his ability and his wisdom to save sinners through Jesus Christ. We are to praise him for what he has revealed to us. And his revelation is the mystery of his son, the mystery of the good news found in Jesus Christ. So how is it that we are to praise him in accordance with his revelation? By repenting of our sins and by believing in the Lord Jesus. It also involves our consecration. In verse 27, he says, To the only wise God be glory forevermore. To the only wise God. Not one of many. Christianity doesn't believe in trusting in one God among many. It's not about having Christianity at the round table but rather of recognizing that Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. That is, in, it is in Christ alone that we are saved and it is to Christ alone that we bend the knee. And so it is to be consecrated to Christ alone, to God alone be the glory, to the only wise God who has revealed himself to us through his Son. So there is the obedience of faith there is the consecration to the only wise God. But then thirdly, there is this endurance of praising God. He says there again in verse 27, To the only wise God be glory forevermore. Go back to that quote of David Wallace. And he says that all these other things will not ultimately satisfy. Your intellect, your power, your appeal, your attractiveness, those things will ultimately eat you up. But here... The Apostle Paul says is that the praise of God is something that never wears out. It never fades. It never tires. Those who have come to believe in Christ never, never cease to give thanks to their God. And so they are those who have lived are living in response to the revelation of Christ. To God alone be the glory forevermore. Can you say amen to that? Let's pray.